This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read some stuff this week. I watched a movie. This week we are covering The Matrix. The Matrix Resurrections has just been released on HBO Max and into theaters. I have just seen it this morning. <laughs> and um, no spoilers for anyone. That no did, spoilers, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So Taylor wants to see it, is invested in the franchise. So this is really uh, to looking at the franchise uh, and all that went into creating it, all of its references I couldn't be more excited. Um, I, I'm glowing having left, uh, having uh, just come away from the new one. I really, really enjoyed it. I just had a lot of fun, and it was a delight because I didn't know what to expect, and I wasn't expecting to like it very much, and yeah. it was it was just great. So I, I can't wait to to pick this apart and look into what is really one of the most ubiquitous franchises of my lifetime uh, and something that really happened very quickly. Uh, right. It's very interesting, the original material, how quickly a span that was created, released, and then was done. And then five years. Yeah. Let's put this in perspective. How? Let's think of how much the Matrix impacted just culture, just like 2000 style, you know, just, you know like fashion. <laughs> then let's Let's think of something like James Cameron's Avatar, who had no cultural impact. It was huge, <laughs> massive, but like, what's we the main don't talk name? about the Navi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, name any of like, the characters' names. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that the, the yeah. Matrix is something that has become. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I'm glad that we're going back. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> so, as a lot of people probably know, the Wachowski siblings pulled a lot of influences. Hopefully, we'll see some of the more minute ones or nuanced ones because, you know, the biblical allegories, the savior character, the hero's journey, all of that stuff mm -hmm, is pretty mm -hmm. much overwrought and dissected on YouTube video essays. So we'll try and give some context for why they made this the way they did and who they are. Just on the offset, I'm I'm excited because I've been, you know, we've been other things this year. We've been studying. I've been into anime, which is very, very new for me. And mm -hmm. additionally to the new movie, uh, before that came out, me and my wife watched The Animatrix, which was right. massive. Massive, <laughs> massive, massive at the time. And I, I remember like my brother's generation, just like that was their favorite. It was like the cultural thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, aside from the movies, it was as, as far as an animated feature, the, the biggest movies of our time. I finally got to check that out, which gave massive context to the overreaching story. And I highly recommend that. And we're going to cover that as well. But that was yeah. additionally something that I, that I uh, delved into to prepare. Yeah, I want to check it out because it definitely also gave rise to – we even covered the Star Wars visions and these other things that are taking a big property and giving exactly. it to other hands in, in animation. Yeah, so they that's all part of the franchise from the siblings' standpoint. And they have very sparse interviews, which I'll explain why. But one of the things they said, they saw 2001 A Space Odyssey as kids and were really mm. – frustrated by it as I was <laughs> watching it at one point oh. because it's so <laughs> allegorical and symbolical and whatnot. And then they asked their dad, what is the black obelisk thing? And the monolith. Yeah. Monolith. I, that's I, it. I, I, I'd say to my wife all the time, it's our phones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so he said, the dad said, oh, it's a symbol for the consciousness of God. And that's still frustrating mm. if you're nine years old, because yeah. what the heck does that even <laughs> mean? What? 
that this is not a good movie <laughs> from nine years old, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you could see the start of that where it says, oh, it could be an interpretation of a lot of different yes. things and your nine-year-old yes. interpretation it, of what God means or any of that stuff. It, it Think about that on in retrospect, being frustrated by a story at a certain point in your life, but then growing up and realizing how the frustration there is actually where the story where more story actually might live, the device actually is like, mm-hmm. well, it got me thinking in this direction, which is incredibly important. How did it do that? Yeah. Just as a, from a creative perspective, putting that in into context, looking backwards, I think is really important. And they they were able to see, you know, they they didn't just write it off and go like, oh, frustrating, <laughs> didn't please me. They went, oh, that's frustrating. Why? It's making me think why. And then they understood why. And they understood mm-hmm. more about the story. And they're, oh, a device. Oh, it got me thinking <laughs> in a direction. Fascinating. Yeah. And that the parents would not give you the answer or say you're too young to understand, mm-hmm. but challenge mm-hmm. you on what, what a symbol might mean or what you think it means. Yes. Is very critical to their media development. Yeah. So that's fascinating. They, uh, Dropped out of college, got work doing some comic book stuff, eventually shifted over to screenwriting and had the Matrix script in 94, spent Mm. years writing on it. The way that they got into Hollywood was they had written this film, Assassins, which was a Mm. spec script, meaning that nobody asked them to do it. That was kind of their- uh, Wholly original. They're just mm -hmm. trying to sell an original script and an original idea. Right. It gets- Stallone and Banderas as actors in it, and they said that it was completely rewritten by this other guy, which it was, when it eventually got made, and they tried to even have their names removed off of it. Oh, wow. But from that, they realized, well, we have to be the directors, or we're never going to survive as writers in this town from their perspective. Right. And it makes sense if that's your first foray into the business, and your thing gets butchered. And then you, oh <laughs> God, no. they'll do that to it. Well, this is never going to work. You know, like we're never going to get this idea to the screen if we have to go through that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the The ironic thing, though, is directed by Richard Donner, who did Superman in 78. And so mm. it's kind of interesting how The Matrix then sort of ends the Stallone era of action movies, the big brutish mm-hmm. guys with yes. catchphrases. And Matrix also then reinvents superhero films where Superman was yes. this very comic book cheesy wink. And then superhero movies became The Dark Knight and whatnot thereafter. I mean, the trajectory, the timeline is really interesting. You have the, the first Matrix in 99, and then you have... Uh, the Marvel X-Men in 2000 and uh, the Raimi Spider-Man <laughs> right on its heels in 2002. Um, yeah. So when this actually comes out, it's so fascinating to hear how early it's gestating. They have a draft by 94. It doesn't reach the screens until 99. But when you look at the cinema that it is surrounded with at the mm-hmm. time, uh, what a moment. Uh, yeah. How influ? I mean, beyond any kind, any conceived plan. I mean, how influential it would be on all of the things that are coming out around it. It's yeah. fascinating. Definitely that it it. Well, we'll get into some of the the filmic stuff that the Matrix does. But as far as the what they got, they got Assassins, which, like we said, was they didn't like it all. But luckily right. <laughs> with this, Joel Silver is the producer, and he bought three of the things that they had written. So testament oh, to awesome. writers oh, like wow. you got to have a lot of different you can't yep. just have one yep. thing what else you got what else you got what else you got <laughs> so he bought assassins and then he bought the matrix and then he also bought this film bound 
which then becomes the first film that they write and direct together. Mm, and this comes out okay. the year later in 96. Uh, a small project, smaller budget. It is this thriller with a happy ending, but it revolves around this lesbian couple, but it, that's not intrinsic to the plot at all. Mm. So that made waves for them of being like, well, it's not about that. It's a part of it. But of course, the themes, you know, it's it's about assumptions of a woman's sexuality, playing to the stereotypes of what a because mm -hmm. the genre they're playing in is sort of the film noir slash the humor of the Billy Wilder comedies of the old days, some like it hot, right. that kind of thing. So those are all their right. influences that they're going with. And you can even see some of that carried over to later works, at least with the ideas of identity and... Oh, yeah. And you'd, we'd be remiss not to like directly highlight how interesting their point of view is because they're making this this as these as men. And as mm -hmm. we know now, they're both women. And yeah. everything that they have made touches on some thematic issue mm -hmm. here with identity. And it's fascinating to be viewing different pieces of art from two two people who have made who have traversed the line yeah um it's it's actually fascinating to have you know have them making art at this level and be able to follow their perspective through that transition it's actually quite incredible and and the more i think about what they did not only with the original trilogy but now with the new one and more so with lana with the new one but yeah. uh how they are able to speak on these thematics without it being over overwrought or too obvious. Uh, mm -hmm. It's actually quite beautiful and nuanced. It's going to be widely important as these films continue to age and as they, you know, we'll see what happens to them down the road. But I think we're going to look back at this and who they were and who they became. And, and it's going to be something that we look at for a long time as being yeah. Wide, really important. Like you're saying, oh, look at the themes and the influences and the the things they're perhaps not able to I would say because it's 1996. Yeah, I would take a, a Wachowski's retrospective on identity, you know, and thematics yeah. <laughs> any day of the week. That'd be an incredible course. I'll 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 put it together. <laughs> no, I, I the, just yeah. it. They're not even done. They're not done yet. But I'm just like you could start mm -hmm. that that class right now, and it would be so rich. Mm -hmm. um, but an exciting future of what they will become in terms of artists, uh, um, what they will have yeah. accomplished. Yeah. So with with that, they did this film Bound, but even though they directed it, still did not have the backing of Warner Brothers and whatnot to say, oh, yeah, you can tackle your Matrix script. Right. That we because at the time so. it's like well this is impossible yeah <laughs> it sounds like the third book of Dune you know like yeah yeah it's yeah like well we and you're, you know did you see Tron <laughs> <laughs> yeah your low budget thriller crime thing is nowhere close to this so what thanks, else you no got thanks. yeah <laughs> so they, yeah so what what the Wachowskis did is they hired some comic book artists that they had known before or were oh, at no least yes. privy to and drawn a 600-page shot-by-shot storyboard for the film. And yes. then oh my God. this helped to get the studio's approval on it for them as the directors. So does that early comic exist publicly? Yeah, there was a book that came out called The Art of the Matrix, which mm. is the shooting script for it, and essentially the the 600-page, um, oh you know, gosh. there's no speech bubbles or anything like that, but it's basically... To yeah. Barnes & Noble. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll post a link to that. Pretty wild that they had to do all of that just to then say, we want to be the directors. Um, Man, I get it. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so, that's so, it's so frustrating when they clearly like have, you know, mm-hmm. a concise vision for, you know, what they're doing. And even I'm looking at the new stuff and it's just Lana directing the new one. And I'm going mm-hmm. like, wow, this, they just, the conceptualization, the mm-hmm. design of the moment, <laughs> the, you know, I'm like, oh, the, oh, it's just gorgeous. Um, yeah. it, it, it's so, it's frustrating, but the, I mean, I, I totally, I totally get it. Um, and now I'm dying to see these storyboards. Kind of like <laughs> reminds me of last week with Lucille Ball and them having to do the vaudeville show to prove that they could do the TV mm-hmm. show. It is. It's like even yes, if you get yes, the, yes. the yes, you still have to say, well, we got really got to prove it to you. We see yeah, that again yeah. and again. I mean, and you, I mean, that's the whole essence with TV pilots, because what mm-hmm. people don't even understand a lot of the time is pilots are completely reshot. They'll be completely recast. They'll set it in a different place. Um, but that's the idea is like, well, let's see if it works. Put it. Let's try it. Because um, old William Golding from uh, Princess Bride, he said, nobody knows anything. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah, you got to prove it. So the cast was required to understand and explain the matrix. They really wanted to make sure that you knew what in the That's world this good movie good. was about, <laughs> uh, which one of the things, cause they asked Will Smith to be Neo, but he turned it down cause he didn't understand it oh, wow. and probably didn't okay. want, to go into it right. that much. So he did Wild Wild West. See, it's like that's a conversation that could have never happened on like the original Blade Runner because nobody knew what <laughs> right. had, no, had a concerted idea of what they were doing. Uh, I'm actually like, this is this is f- good on them for actually like holding the cast accountable for being able to answer a college like essay question yeah. <laughs> about the plot of the film that they're in and like the overwhelming mechanics of the story, the setting. Yeah. Well, so the the book then that had to be read by most of the cast and crew is Jean Baudrillard's Simulacra and Simulation, which came mm-hmm. out in 81. Very, I mean, I didn't read it, but I kind of got the gist of it. It's this mm-hmm. philosophical conceit about what is real and what isn't. And it's interesting in the sense that the book is featured in the first film to be noticed by people that know what they're talking about. So it's in, it's in the first film. It's before he figures out everything, Neo, and it's the book that he uses to conceal these discs that he's not supposed to be figuring out what the matrix is. So when he goes into his grungy apartment and finds this book on the shelf and it's simulacra and simulation and he opens it up and there's a hole in it, no and he puts way. his yeah. he puts his little things. And also, when Morpheus says "Welcome to the desert of the real," that's one of the lines from the book. Oh wow! As well, so they really very wow. much pulling okay. from it. And I found in an interview, Lana was saying that the point of the reference is that the book itself is hollow because it's it's cut out the the chapter like it's its own construct <laughs> of reality because the author of the book was pretty much saying they didn't get the point of it or, or whatever. Like, didn't really. <laughs> and also, I, I went sort of a deep dive into this because I'm crazy. And the <laughs> when they put in the book, he opens up, Neo does, and there's a hole in the book. And the chapter preceding it is, is you can see the title of it. I'll post a link to the video. It says, On Nihilism. But mm. actually, in the book, that On Nihilism is the last chapter of the book. So it wouldn't be when you opened up to the middle of the book. So the Wachowskis are purposefully changing it and placing it there 
you know, it's all allegory yeah. and symbol yeah, yeah, yeah. of what they're what they're trying to say. So it wasn't like they didn't know what they were doing because you wouldn't flip around the the chapters of yeah. a book for a, for literally half a second of a frame of you know. I don't want to spoil anything, uh -huh. but I had to stop and rewind the first act of the new movie because I thought I was seeing things. <laughs> and I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm, the, oh, wow. I'm just saying that they're a visual. They're it's just they're visual masters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because speaking of visual mastery, that's sort of the long and short of the simulacra, which would be a copy of an original thing. And that's kind of this philosophy is saying that these copies supersede and you lose the original altogether. And that's kind of what he's saying is all these symbols of culture and media and capitalism mm -hmm, and whatever mm -hmm. are oversaturated and, and the constructs of society are actually now meaningless because they're just the copies of the copies and have lost all sense of everything. So that if you wanted to get one of the thematics that they're pulling on it's from this particular book oh man i love it but just cool that they're like yeah everybody's got to read it because this is kind of what we're uh yeah we're trying to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. <laughs> we're on a mission people where this yeah. is a ship and everybody has required reading <laughs> without yeah. this knowledge this ship will sink <laughs> and you cannot act in this because you <laughs> you will not understand what you're even saying you your words help keep it afloat you mm -hmm. must understand them. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other books that then they're also pulling from is called neuromancer by william gibson in 84 mm. And the term matrix is where this comes from that's prevalent. We mentioned it maybe when we were talking about Philip K. Dick, which I highly recommend everybody go back to. Mm -hmm. uh, that's episode 80, because he's sort of the start of cyberpunk, which is then what this yeah. lineage follows. But Neuromancer is where we get the term cyberspace. And it's also called the matrix in this book. Okay. Gibson had said, since of course he has seen the Matrix film, he had said the way that they draw from all the cyberpunk works is the same sort of thing he did or relied upon for his own writing. But you couldn't make a Neuromancer film now because so much is what they used. You know what I mean? It would well, seem, yeah. I like that what he said about it. I like that he's you know picking up on how rich and referenced they are. Yeah. And that is the work of good storytelling. Yes, they're using my stuff, but they're using all this other stuff that's speaking to the same uh, or the same wheelhouse. It's yeah. not in the, the, the same direction necessarily, but it's in the same area and they're all connected in the same ideas. Drawing, because um, like William Gibson, you know, he's pulling from Philip K. Dick's work in the 70s mm -hmm, where we had exactly, talked about like exactly. Philip K. Dick said, you know, he believed he was living in the Matrix. And then with William Gibson stuff, like you're talking about, life potentially imitates art. I saw an essay where they're saying a lot of the stuff that he puts, because in 84, there's no cell phones, you know, there's, he still has the idea of like phone booths. That was one thing he couldn't mm -hmm. predict, but they were saying a lot of what right. he puts in about cyberspace may have been in a way what inspired the way that the actual internet developed it. You know, it's like he wrote it and then they, you know, Stop, these, you're creating it. <laughs> these nerds in the eighties read it and then said, oh, this is what we're gonna develop in this fashion. No, you're doing it right now. Stop. No, I'm working <laughs> against it. No, you're doing it. No, you're doing it. You're, you're breathing life into existence. You're giving right people now. ideas. Yeah. Put the pen down. <laughs> so one of the things that the Wachowskis did of their own volition is hire 
choreographer and director Yen Wu Ping for the fight scene stuff, which was very much ah. the Eastern influence of wire fu and fighting. He had done Fist of Legend with Jet Li in '95. So this is something I. This was an aspect on this on the the films that I was very much thinking of while I was meditating in the new one and looking into these older ones mm -hmm. because one of, you know, it's obviously has, uh, you know, an Eastern anima animation influence for, you know, but we're doing it live action. And so yeah. people always talk about the difference between, you know, you can't just do an anime live action. Well, what does that look like when you bring it to life? And I thought, well, man, the Wachowskis really sat down and kind of figured that out because the, the Matrix is the closest thing to a live action anime, mm -hmm. to be honest, that I can point to. <laughs> but then yeah. you look down at the fight scenes, very, very different from how an anime fight scene would play out in lots of slow motion and internal monologue and that kind of thing where the Matrix has the kung fu sequences, the, you know, the slow, the bullet time sequences. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is all what filled in the gaps because it's not a, you can't just put anime into live action cinema it doesn't yeah. translate that the same way so they had to figure out what would work compelling to a you know a real live action setting yeah. in place and time uh, so it was really interesting to see that like oh they, so their choices sat down well how do we bring an anime style fight sequence to the screen live action yeah um, and this is you, how you do it. <laughs> you had even said like with the emergence of superhero stuff, that also heavily influenced because it's like, oh, we can do crazy exactly. stuff that superheroes could do. And it, if we take it seriously, it won't look goofy. So like you're exactly. saying, X-Men. And then also I saw Charlie's Angels. Both of them came out in 2000, the very next year. Wow. Wow. And used these wire foo techniques as well as Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon also came out in 2000. Because everybody's standing year. around making these movies before they see it going like, well, how are we going to do this and not look like idiots? How are we <laughs> going to do this and it feel compelling? Which 20 years on sounds a little silly because mm -hmm. there's we've found all the techniques. <laughs> but at the time, you know, there was a reason something was animated. There was a reason mm -hmm. something was a comic book and not a movie. And we forget that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So right along with the understanding, dodging around, not having a lot of information on them. In their contracts, they included a no press clause, which is why a lot of people didn't even know they transitioned or it was mm. a shock or this or that because mm -hmm. they give no interviews. They do no publicity. It's in their contracts. They're not public figures at all. So that kind of also mm. lends this what, do the, what does it mean? What do the symbols in the movie mean? What are the interpretations of it? Right. It adds a mystique to it just mm -hmm. by like not even putting, not even, <laughs> yeah. not even giving a face to the question. You know? Yeah. Cause like, they don't there's want not a, There's not a face to give the question to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that I didn't realize is like intrinsic to their process and also just the, I had no idea. The contracts of they're not <laughs> like, we don't want to, we don't want any of this. It, it, it you I'm know, sitting here going like, really? There's no interview. I'm like, wow, there's no press junket. There's no, I'm like, I didn't even notice, you know, like I'm not even, <laughs> not even thinking about it. That's, that's fascinating. Now I'm like, well, wait, I want to go see what interviews they have. Given. There's a few. <laughs> yeah. I'll post, I'll post some links. It's more recent, you know, but in the, in the, right. in the spur of the early 2000s, zilch. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Yeah. Reloaded and Revolutions, the next two sequels, came out in May and November of 2003, but they filmed them both. They came at out the same, same year. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. But they filmed them That's both at a... the same time. 
I didn't realize that Reloaded did so well. It was the highest grossing R-rated film until Deadpool in 2016. Oh, I did not know that. I did. Yeah. <laughs> That's really amazing, actually. Wow. People were hyped for the sequel, and then it uh, it destroyed, yeah. Part of the production, Lana specifically, had said in later interviews she was very depressed and struggling with the gender situation and realizing eventually that she would have to tell her parents and siblings and, and all that stuff. And she had said that the the reason she had gone swimming in the bay rather than in the pool was she was hoping to be hit by a boat or a shark or, so, you know, just like really this in, in the making of all of these movies is mm. recognizing I have, this is who I am. I have to say this or tell, you know, I can't, I can't not be wow. this anymore. Um, yeah. Her mom and dad flew to Australia, which is where they shot them for budgetary reasons and whatnot. And Lana had told them and was met with extreme love and support, which mm. is exactly what you need. And she she says that that's like the main reason they're able to go through with all of this is because yeah. everybody close to them. So wow. the next, you know, a couple of days later, the whole family goes out to dinner and Lana is wearing women's dress and a waiter referred to Lana and Lynn, who is her mom, as ladies out mm. in public. And so then the next day, Lana showed up to set with her new identity. And of course, then the press, you know, and rumors and craziness and wow. all that stuff. And also coupled with the fact that they're not public people, but that all was going on with it, you know, because we hear about it later when they're doing Speed Racer or whatever, but it mm. was all going on within the context of making these Matrix movies. Yeah. As, as you I did had, not, yeah. I didn't really have a context for, for their, um, for their journey, really, I, mm -hmm. you know, because they're they're not public people, really. I didn't, I wasn't really, I didn't understand that they're going through that and coming out during the production of these. Yeah, yeah. Lily didn't, uh, yeah, 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 fully come out until 2016. But yeah, right. like you said, not being public. Also, I don't know if they necessarily were coming out to the public in this right. way. But it, it is. Of note, the fact that it was not 10 years, it's its in this, <laughs> you know, it's not, yeah. the Matrix yeah, yeah, is a yeah. part of all of this. It's not, oh yeah, they were successful and did this thing and then later they decided, you know, like it's none of that nonsense. No, no, um, no, no. Uh, no. This is intrinsically part of it. Yeah. Um, so wow. with all of that, as you had said, tons of Matrix stuff because the three video games enter the Matrix, the Matrix Online, which was the big MMO, the Path of Neo, and the Animatrix are all coming out within the next three years thereafter, two or three years. And you had seen the Animatrix. I saw that they had written four of the segments, but they didn't direct any of them. They said, we want other people to put their spin on it. I remember it being such a big deal, aside from the movies themselves. But I felt mm -hmm. like the Animatrix was... Uh, I felt like the, the, the Animatrix was almost as popular as the first movie and really? in terms of just like yeah like the first I was not movie was to it yeah the animatrix i felt like i couldn't get away from maybe it's just because i had a <laughs> you know an older brother who was like the like target audience for the time right. but like i don't even know if he liked it but i know all of his friends i just like it eclipsed the two other sequels to me so i and it's just something i wasn't ready for so i'm glad i'm almost glad that i waited until now to dive into it because as 
we already mentioned we covered the Star Wars and Marvel anime yeah. series, What If and Visions earlier this year, which is this is obviously the predecessor for, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like cut and dry. Um, and we're surprised so that it, more people have not taken this approach and said, "Yeah, here's a big I'm like, property why, where, with lots of yeah. stories. Yeah, give it." I'm, I'm like, "Where's the Terminator? You know, or the Harry <laughs> Potter? Know, or, or, or yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think it's such a viable art form. I'm really doing some research, in particular, this year on on this genre and mm-hmm. just how interesting it is, in particular." The themes that they touch on, the themes that are so strong, and it's and this is just a perfect ma- marriage of yeah. uh, of style and substance. And it's you know if you're into in heady and heady stuff, you know, <laughs> sit back and let this wash over you. <laughs> and in a way, back to the source, like the Matrix, because they're they hey. they're so inspired by anime, Ghost in the Shell, these other pieces. Absolutely, it's kind of like Ghost in the Shell, and that's interesting you say that one because I actually just saw that in IMAX this year. Mm. Um, it's such a particularly interesting piece because of where it comes out, because it comes out in the middle of the nineties. Yeah. Um, I think the same the, year their assassins one. I think it came out in 95. That may, yeah, that yeah. sounds exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has the luxury of coming out after a lot of, uh, you know, after Akira, after Blade mm-hmm. Runner, it is taking so much of the same thematics and running with it that I saw it coming out in late, 95 it became obvious that ghost in the mm-hmm. shell was uh, was a, a clear reference but that <laughs> well, yeah. not a reference in almost a passing of the torch of like, trying to get to the heart of what what these thematics what mm-hmm. these questions are really asking us i don't know I'm, I'm just I had uh, even, it's all I, clicking for yeah, me yeah <laughs> i had even seen with the aesthetics of it so the ghost in the shell opening credits they that's the green numbers going across the screen they go horizontal, yeah. but, you know, that's the matrix digital <laughs> rain kind of thing that then became everybody's screensaver yeah. in the two thousands. Like that's in, that's at the beginning of ghost in the shell, this anime film. So what, what now so everybody they're, says, they're looking oh, the at matrix. ghost in the yeah. shell and they're like, well, how do we do this on the big screen? How do we mm-hmm. do, how do we do a, a fight sequence like this? <laughs> but we do it compelling. Yeah. Just like that's, that's the, the questions they set out to answer going into, you know, 1998 when they went to film this thing. Yeah, and the themes and everything. So they had now, God, they got the video games, which is one takes place during Matrix Reloaded. One is the MMO that's after Revolutions, so people think it's done. And then Path of Neo is Neo is playing the movies as a video game. And they have the Animatrix, and they have the three films, and all of that is from '99 to 2005. Right. Is when yeah I all played, of that I played Enter the Matrix. It was oh, yeah. very fun. The style, <laughs> the the aesthetic is all there. And they were in there writing the games and I mean, they're huge gamers, so they're all in it, but all of this is now done. And then here we come to our big why question of like, is this, this new one resurrections? Is this just like space jam where they're like, well, we got to have something new (laughs) from the old again. I I know I, I, on the outset it goes, you go, okay. So the last matrix film came out in 2003. Yeah. So why in the world is one coming out now? In <laughs> is this some Hollywood junk again? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, who? So who's the audience for it? Who asked for it? Uh, are kids at what? Do they want this? <laughs> you know, like I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, you know, it, the, on the outset, a lot of a lot of questions of well, well, why the timing? Why now? Why not ten years ago? Why not 2008? Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, 
Um, and then even further, why is it just Lana on this one? Um, so here's the story then. Very, very interesting. The answer to all your questions behind all of this. During the production of the original trilogy, they had no intention of making any more Matrix. They knew this is it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're out. And so it feels pretty definite, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Then that's that's pretty much the biggest thing is everybody's going like, but the story ended, you know, yeah. like it ended. And they know that too. But every year, Warner Brothers is like, how about that Matrix? How about coming it? Coming back? <laughs> coming back for that other one? Snapping it. And there was one interview that I saw in February of 2015 working on their film Jupiter Ascending, which was like an original space opera thing. And Lily yeah. had said that a return to the Matrix was, quote, a particularly repelling idea in these times. Because they were so, they're like, Hollywood does not want original material at all. Yeah. And we want to keep doing different things and write new things. Or, But, you know, there was always- One of the opening lines of dialogue, again, mm -hmm. without ruining anything, is why use a copied code? Why not do something original? Yeah. And I'm immediately, you're, you're online, you're going like, oh. <laughs> they're aware. This movie yeah. is, they're aware. This movie is talking about something. This movie has something to say. Uh, I you know I can't wait I can't wait to talk to you about it Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Who else was talking about getting it done? Keanu and Hugo Weaving. They had always said they'd be down to do more if the Wachowskis were involved. Though they weren't going to do it without their blessing. No, 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 yeah, yeah. But I think Warner ultimately owned it, and so they just went against their <laughs> sentiments because in 2017 they were developing a relaunch without them. Which oh, I didn't no, really? know about. Yeah, I so did not know that. Oh my god! Zach Penn, who had done some, I think, superhero stuff, some action stuff. He wrote a treatment with Michael B. Jordan in the lead role. It would be tied to the source material somehow, if that makes hmm. sense. So they're not just going like to go off. A new story on the, in the Matrix. Yeah, kind of, but still in line with what was going on with Morpheus and yeah. Neo and Trinity and all of that okay. stuff. So they weren't just going to be like, "Well, here's a whole different thing," but just stealing all the ideas. So, yeah, they, that, they had, I don't know about that because well, yeah. even going into this one, I'm like, ah, yeah. there takes a magicism to the storytelling woven in with the thematics that the Wachowskis understand it is their story. So I have yeah. huge reservations about <laughs> even just one, just one doing it that an entirely other person with no input from the Wachowskis whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't, okay. That's with a young Morpheus. Yeah. Space but that, Jam too. <laughs> that was, yeah. Well, that was all in the works, you know, up until, yeah. so what happens then is in 2019, Ron and Lynn Wachowski, the parents both passed away within a few mm. weeks along with a close friend of Lana. And so oh, no. this is coming from a personal place, a part of the grieving process. She said, struggling with all of this and then conceived of the resurrection story to the Matrix, it sort of came to her. And she said, well, she couldn't have her parents back. She could have Neo and Trinity and feel comforted to see them again. And mm. kind of reminded me of Sweet Tooth that we had talked about where there's this whole other thing in the pandemic that he's writing and the Netflix show is going on and it kind of yeah. resurrected these characters for him. And in a way, she she said, it's like, well, that's art. It's like I'm doing something with people who have passed and now they're coming back and these are characters. But it's sort of that's what art helps you do is process these things. So it all came without from, that. It doesn't feel alive. You got to have, you got to have something, you got to thrive yeah. on something real in, in your story. And, and the more you do, the more, the more compelling it will be. I mean, yeah. 
having seen the new one, everything you're telling me makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it it's good in that it, it probably, and this is me theorizing, you know, obviously it comes from this personal place, but maybe also a bit of like, well, they're going to butcher it if I don't do something soon. Yes. <laughs> you know, like they're making they outright, it wrong. They outright say that. In the in the movie, that becomes a line of dialogue. Oh, really? They're going to yeah, they're going to do it without us. So yeah, <laughs> right. So this is all then interwoven. But it is good that it co- it comes from this place of I'm trying to reckon with the thematics of it's the alive, deaths of man. two people it's... that are important to me and them coming yeah. back and all that stuff. So the reason then Lily does not get involved is she has been working. They both did this series Sensate, which was on Netflix that then got canceled, but was Uh, really cool. But Lily wrote, directed, and produced this show called Work in Progress on Showtime. And so she continued Mm. to work on that. And also she was saying, this is not my thing. This is Lana's idea and this is her process for grieving our parents. And Lily's like, I'm, you know, painting and doing other things and that's how I'm getting through it. So I don't need to step in these older waters and also with her transition, it was later. How so she's mature. like, this is just going to bring up all the stuff that was going on with me when I was- I don't have anything to add. Matrix. I don't yeah. have anything that's going to improve this. This You obviously have the the inspiration for this. This is your thing. I don't know that I could yes and you in a way that yeah. would do it any good, which is beautiful maturity. Yeah. First of the films that is directed by only one of them. Although Lana did have- other writer help mm-hmm, on it, mm-hmm. co-written with two other literary novelists who have done some screenplay mm-hmm. stuff. But David Mitchell, who wrote Cloud Atlas, which was the crazy cool book. I love the book that they made the movie. I, I yeah. love the movie, dude. <laughs> I, that's what I. <laughs> yeah. And then I, uh, I'm a I'm a staunch defender of that movie, yeah. and I and it, and I've I've started reading the book. And I, one day I will yeah. continue and finish it. But I, I, am I guess I read the book first the before film. they were even before they had even mm-hmm. conceived mm-hmm. of the movie. So that's where you know the classic, classic stuff. But yeah, no, it's great. But he co-wrote this Matrix Resurrections as well as Alexander Hemmen, who they both helped on Sense Eight, the the Netflix show. Um, oh, cool. And they all okay. wrote the Very they cool. all yeah they all wrote the finale. So there's a the living link together. between the you know. So they're working with Lily. Um, yeah. There's a living creative With link Lana. between all yeah. four of them. So no, I'm saying if they're working on Sense Eight, so oh, they're, right, right. they're yeah, connected yeah, yeah. with Lily. So the yeah. the gang is all working creatively together, just not on all the same things all at once. <laughs> right. And what's cool is if you go to the Wikipedia page, like the Wachowskis use mostly the same crew for everything. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Cinematographer, same storyboard artist, same every you know everybody is on board, which is cool. Yeah, you have because that one also, bad experience, and it like dictates your entire like modus operandi. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, nope, we it has to be how we want it, or else it will absolutely get burned. <laughs> and it's a family, and we stick together. Yeah, I love it because I because I had seen it. I did you know they wrote and produced V for Vendetta, but didn't direct it. But I didn't realize that the person who directed it. Uh, James McTeague it was the first AD, the first assistant director for all the Matrix trilogy. No way, I did and not so know that. That's so. They cool. offered the film to him. They said, "Do you, you know?" Oh. He had he had done it, and it's. A, I mean, I love that movie. I really like that movie. Yeah, yeah. it's so weird because I've been trying to buy that on Blu-ray since Black Friday, and my wife wants me to <laughs> shut up about it because I'm like screaming about a 15 year old movie I can't find at the store like an old yeah. man. <laughs> but it's just so cool that they, he, you know, he worked with them on this, 
was the first AD, That's which is awesome. not a super creative direct. It's not really a directorial. No, no, it's yeah, thing. it's it's more managerial and helping you get Logistics through your, your day. But yeah. that's it's not to say that those people can't be also talented in other directions. And for them to see that, understand that, invest in him, mm-hmm. prop him up for an opportunity like that. I mean, he got to direct V for Vendetta. What yeah. in the <laughs> world? <laughs> yeah. So that that's super cool. Just a random side note: you're talking about DVDs and trying to find them and whatnot. There was a 2004 10 disc release of DVDs about the ma- the whole all the Matrix stuff. Whoa, no way! With six discs of additional material. But what's interesting is it's mostly behind the scenes documentary stuff because they do not like deleted scenes, directors extended cuts. Like they're not oh, yeah. into that. Also, in terms of like audio commentary, they don't have a commentary of them talking about their interpretations and mean- they don't want that in the public sphere of what they are they want people to interpret on their own but what's so cool with this 2004 release each of the films has two different audio commentaries on it and one of them is Mm. a group of philosophers who like the films and another is by critics who did not like the films whoa dude (laughs) no way i want to check this out yeah, they want viewers to have their own opinion. So like what director would do that on their film instead of a, having a vanity, let's talk about how we made this cool movie. No, we're going to have two different Well, ones. we waited till sunrise because the light is just yeah, right yeah. at 6.32 a.m. So the crew had to wait for four hours yeah. while we sat for the sun. <laughs> or this is exactly uh, what I incredible. meant to say by this. No, it's here's some <laughs> philosophers and here's some people that said this was garbage. So I love that, man. I'm going to go check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. I've never um, heard of an experiment like that at all, ever, 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 ever. <laughs> yeah, they're, so, they're you're going to record a commentary for the group of people who didn't like your film, <laughs> and you're going to put it in the extra features. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then cool. you can cro- you can compare and contrast with you know a group of philosophers mm-hmm. who did. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I never knew that. It's incredible. Yeah. So. We, t- we touched on a lot of the symbols and the trends and the reason they don't want to talk about it exactly. But I had seen in an interview that Lana had done in 2012, she was trying to say, can we get the audience to go through the three movies and experience what Neo experiences, where the first movie is very classical in its approach, and then the second movie follows this sort of deconstructionist philosophy, or everything you thought in the first movie to be true is not and he's not the mm-hmm. one, and there were a bunch of matrixes, and so people are like, "Stop hurting me <laughs> in this way." Like, <laughs> I, I want to understand it. And then, and that's the same way people get upset with that philosophy she's saying. And then the third movie is the most ambiguous because you're supposed to yeah. find the meaning in it and construct the meaning based on what you decide. So I think yeah. that that's where the the original trilogy gets a lot of criticism. But then it made yes. sense to me as she was laying it out as like, "No, no, no, it's all kind of an experiment on people." having to do with what they make meaning out of, which then makes sense why they're not in the public eye, why they don't put commentaries on their DVDs, why they don't want extra scenes because they, I mean, it's all in the first, it's all in the first movie, the scene. um, I forget the character's name, but he's talking about steak. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cypher real to me. It's here. (laughs) It's, you know, it's good here. It's real to me now that Mm -hmm. do I put value in this or do I put value in this other thing that I can't feel or, you know, it's not yeah. real to me in this moment. It's it, it's all present in that conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you where do you derive value? And that's so different for everybody else. Yeah, for everyone. And with the as you mentioned, the first movie and kind of the 
representations that they have in there, they have come out more in explaining or at least addressing the fact that, yes, there were metaphors and symbols and things that had to do with the struggle with gender identity, but the world mm-hmm. wasn't quite quite ready and neither were they to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it doesn't have to be about that, but it can be yeah. very present and it can be linked up intrinsically linked with the trajectory of your thematics and your plot. Like it doesn't, you know, they don't, you I I think looking back, I'm like, it's beautiful that it's present. It's beautiful that it's there because now there's all the argument in the world to say that it's subconsciously affecting every choice they're making yeah. while making those films. Well, and Lana was saying in this 2012 uh, interview, she was described, like like I said, struggling at the time in the second and third films. Yeah. She couldn't even say the word transgender to admit it to yeah. herself. But still, there are these influences. I found this great video where somebody takes her when she was talking in 2012 and sequences and pieces from the film, the first film. Oh, really? And it really, really puts in a great context for like, no, 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 they were putting this stuff in intentionally like they put in this book and changed the chapter around, you know, like they're not just – there's a lot of stuff to do with that in the original film one of the biggest one is when it says system failure and then that's when the camera zooms in into in between the words but the end of the word system and the beginning of the word failure is m and f and it sort of rests on there as you're going in between the two into the matrix oh wow and of course they're never going to say that that was intentional but just in terms of this little short thing where this person is put together in conjunction with what she's saying and all the mirrors that they use and her talking about her like looking into a mirror understanding what she's seeing in it and all of that it was just very very yep Yep. uh, interesting i can't wait dude the mirrors the reflections i thought (laughs) i was seeing stuff i can't wait for you to see this movie man (laughs) yeah the last little thing in, in regards to the gender identity and what they were doing in the original film the character switch which also her name is switch Mm-hmm. dies in the first film, but she was originally written in the script as a man in the real world, but a woman in the matrix. Mm-hmm. And that got cut out of the script and she's just a woman in both of them. But, okay. you know, it's- uh, It's good to know. It's it's very, very, very good to know that that is the, <laughs> the, the history of the character. And I mean, yeah. it's just- sense. It's, And, you know, Lily was saying, because of course they're not going to directly say, like I said, what, was in for what reasons, but she said it's a cool thing because it's an excellent reminder that art is never static. They're glad that it's like, this is an interpretation. It's not the interpretation, but it's a way to look at a lot of the things that are in this. And that's really what The Matrix did so well is like there's so much can be a parable in any way that you want it. It's rich, man. It's so rich. Um, You can And again, you can derive meaning any direction you want to look. Mm -hmm. I read that they started filming right as the pandemic started and that they they questioned whether or not they would be able to actually finish the movie. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. Lana herself was, you know, questioned of whether or not, you know, they, they could just leave it and move on. But it, it was the cast that mm. uh, insisted that she finish it. So That's I thought cool. that was yeah. really, that was really fascinating. That's kind of like their family situation yeah. in a way where she's like, oh, there's all these people around me that we keep going together. And if she's going to be like, no, you know what? Maybe it's not worth it. And then they're like, no, this would yeah. be a horrible forever lost film <laughs> that never got completed. We have to. Right. They they started filming in February 2020 and they resumed oh, in August 2020. So yeah, um, 
we'll see what happens. I'm excited to see how this plays at the box office. I want to see what general reactions are for it because I was really delighted and surprised mm-hmm. by how how authentic and how alive the story really feels. How I, I was like, well, how is this story from 1999 going to have, <laughs> you know, going to come back out of nowhere from 20 years ago and have something to say about the mess we find ourselves in now? Yeah. Uh, and boy, boy, was I <laughs> wrong because it is the perfect thing to be trying to contextualize our lives right now. I am really jazzed on it, and I'm probably going to watch it again really, really soon. <laughs> I'm sorry you couldn't say more about it, but I, I can. No, I, no, I no. Feel I, from, I feel from your energy what everything that it that it embodies is like. The future was then, but it's now. Now, <laughs> you know, or whatever, yeah, you know, I, like we're, yeah. I was just amazed that it was back. That really, the Matrix was back that was resurrected the themes were were live and vivid and compelling and that the story actually seemed to have something to say in this day and age uh i was just kind of gobsmacked that it hits all the notes <laughs> cool. yeah. uh, to be relevant <laughs> yeah and not another space jam yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> they, they made space jam too they did <laughs> and we covered it yeah. <laughs> oh man uh well Thank you, Taylor. I really yeah, appreciate you. it. Um, thank you guys for listening all the way through with us. Uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Out, yeah. <laughs> if you're listening to this on release day, tomorrow will be Christmas. So uh, Merry Christmas if that's what you celebrate. If you celebrate anything else over the over these uh, next few weeks, happy holidays to you. Uh, thank you guys for listening all this year. And I can't wait to see what we get to dig into next year. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much, and we will catch you next time.